Hello, my name is Nick, and I'm here with my co-host James. And we're coming to you from Wild Cape Photography Studios. On today's show, we'll be discussing the Atlantic League Major League Baseball agreement, Claiborne's radio deal, the Revolution's new battlefield, and much more. So grab a bat and step into the batter's box, because you're listening to the Indie Ball Report Podcast. Big week. Big week. You know, as I'm sure some people saw if you're following our Twitter and any ball before pod. Shameless plug. Shameless plug. We don't have shame on this show. Yeah, that's great. It's a pre-requirement for hosting. <laughs> Anywho, there was a bit of an agreement that was made. It's a big deal. We're going to dive straight into that first here, so if you're one of our more weekly followers. Exactly. You know, normally we do kind of a housekeeping bit to get the ball rolling and whatnot. However, we don't want to bury the lead here. We want to dive right into the big stuff here. This is by far the largest news we received all all week. Yeah, absolutely. Probably the largest news we've received since we started doing this. Yeah, definitely. Without further ado, let's dive straight into it. So, the Atlantic League and Major League Baseball struck an agreement on Tuesday. This was Tuesday afternoon. It was announced at around 4 o'clock. The basic rules of the agreement states, that Major League Baseball now has the right to change the Atlantic League's rules and their equipment. So if they want to test out rules or test out new equipment, say, and this is an extreme example, we're not saying this is going to be one to change, I just want to use this as an example. Let's say Major League Baseball wanted to go to using metal bats as opposed to wooden. They would test it here now. Now, once again, that's not being suggested. Just saying, if it were to be suggested, it would be tried. I mean, it'd be a lot of fun if it was suggested, and I'm suggesting it, but, you know. So, the agreement is a three-year agreement, so it will run 2019, 2020, 2021 seasons. In addition to this, Major League Baseball will put in radar tracking in all eight ballparks and improve stat services, or the scouting can get better, for uh, the independent league. So... These changes will take place in the beginning of the season and must be given 45 days notice if it's the first half of the season, 30 days notice if it's the second half of the season. We're going to know about these initiatives in the next few days, so it's at the coming days on the High Point Rockers website, which is linked in the show notes. Obviously, it will be next week at this point. They haven't been announced so far today, and it's about 2.20 on Friday, March 1st. Before we go ahead and jump in to some of the rumor changes and whatnot, what are your initial thoughts on this news? So my initial thoughts are, are two. First, it's absolutely a great thing in terms of the exposure that the Atlantic League is getting. Mm-hmm. I've had more people come up to me and ask me about the Atlantic League, you know, this week and last week, than I had my, in my entire life. Uh, so I think it's really good for exposure reasons for the Atlantic League. But my, my second reaction was the concern over the autonomy of the league and who will be controlling the league. Will it be a Major League Baseball controlled or will it still be Atlantic League controlled? So that is my only, my only hesitation. But certainly from a public relations standpoint, this is one of the best deals that any independent league team has made. Oh yeah, now this thing, I'm torn on it. Because when it first came out, and I'm just pulling up the actual tweet I had sent, when I first saw this, and I'd like to thank uh, Pete Toms for tagging us in the official announcement, because that's where I first immediately saw it. Obviously, we would have seen it otherwise, but it allowed me to get a jump start on researching all this. On my first, at first glance, what I had said was, this could be huge for the Atlantic League in terms of player recruitment and development. I'm interested in seeing where the rules go, 
and how it's going to alter the field, but my only real concern was how the fans were going to react to these changes. Upon giving it more thought, I can't tell if I'm really excited about this, or if I'm really concerned about this. Because the way I see it is, it goes one of two ways. Or it goes one of a few ways, rather. Either it goes splendidly, gate attendance goes up, the changes are terrific, Major League Baseball is very happy and will influence them in their own game. And as a result, more players are going to get picked up from the scouting services and things like that, which are in no small part important to this deal, I'm sure, was the one of the defining reasons it went through. Absolutely, yeah. But the part that concerns me, and where I think this is going to go wrong, and this is one of the other directions it can go in, is if these changes result terribly. They don't do any good. And it just seems like, you know, it, it's not real baseball anymore. And I, I don't like to think of myself that much as, like, a purist. Or, I am, for the record. <laughs> are like old-fashioned stuck there, because I do think Major League Baseball and baseball in general needs to start to change itself a bit to fit with the crowd before there really wasn't much competition for them, especially in the summer months. But now things have changed. People are more, I suppose, tech-oriented. They have more entertainment options than just baseball. So they do need to change something there. I'm not necessarily a fan of making a lot of changes to the actual play on the field, though. That's where my concern is. And so as you're going to see when we get into these changes here, some of the things they're proposing sound like terrific ideas. Other things sound like very bad idea. It's just I'm very concerned at how your main fan base is going to react to this. Because independently, baseball, while there is a, a pretty solid core, there is every team has a core of, I'd say, probably in the neighborhood of a couple hundred fans that are living type of team. They may not go to all 100, 100 plus games. But they certainly do go to a handful each month. Hell, probably one or two a week. How are they going to react? Really doesn't matter to me that much, just yeah. because they're going to sport either way. Of course, yeah. It's like the older folk that are going to watch the game, they're going for whatever. How are they going to react? How are some of the people that don't normally go to baseball games going to react when they see these changes? Yeah, and to me, it's that. It's, it's fans. But also, I think it, a lot of it is players and guys wanting to not be part of this guinea pig uh, you know, kind of a test league, and would rather be playing in a league that has more traditional rules and might help them to move forward into the next thing. And we'll get into that later with mm -hmm. ideas like the mound change and those kind of those things we'll get into in yeah. a minute. Yeah, that's that's the thing too that also came to my mind here, especially like we're going to read some of the quotes and it seems like there's a lot of concern about players on how it's going to affect how they get viewed scouting life, and that's something that in my mind is okay. It sounds like a good idea for players being recruited, because now there's going to be a lot more stack tracking, and we're finally going to figure out, okay, the Atlantic League is a solid quadruple-A league. It's a solid kind of double-A-and-a-half league, or whatever it may be. Right. So you can kind of judge their stats more, and the stats are going to be far more accurate now. It's going to, You're going to actually have player tracking data. Right, yeah. You're going to have advanced analytics. You're going to have a lot of things that major league clubs want. From that perspective, I like it. But I'm very concerned because now when you start making changes, it affects how you view it. If a hitter starts hitting better, but you made a rule change that said, okay, well, we're going to shorten, you know, the base pass. We're not going to make it 90 right. feet in between now. We're going to make it, say, 85 feet. Well, now how does that look? Well, yeah, you were able to get your batting average is higher. But because, you know, you're not needing to leg it out as much. Right, yeah. And anything like that will always create a problem in terms of scouting of how can we compare something that is a different product on the field in the Atlantic League to someone who is playing at Major League Baseball, and also 
how will these players be able to move back and forth? Is there a dynamic that is going to change? How will they continuously flip back and forth between the rule changes? And does that impact them as they attempt to move forward with their careers outside of the Atlantic League? That's another thing, too, because a lot of times you see it towards the end of these other league seasons that end before the Atlantic League, because the Atlantic League is one of the longer-running leagues. A lot of times with the Can-Am League, their season ends around when the playoffs start for them. So you'll see teams that are either way out of it or, you know, they're not really a threat to contend. They'll start selling off pieces, like I believe it was Quebec a year or two ago. They moved uh, Ruby Selva to Lancaster, if I recall correctly for just the price of the contract. They made a trade, but there was cash and future considerations in there. Right. Also, Devontae Richardson with the New Jersey Jackals, who was released at the end of the season upon his request, and then picked up by the Somerset Patriots for their playoff run. Exactly. Like, you see things like that. And all those guys are outfielders, so it affects them less. Right. For a pitcher, it's going to be a lot different. Especially in the beginning here, because we're about to go ahead and dive into rule changes. You're used to doing a certain thing. You're used to being in a certain way. And for a lot of these guys, you know, you're 26, 27, 28. You've been pitching from the same mound, from the same distance. You've been pitching on the same field since you were 13, since you were in high school. A decade and a half later, you're telling me, okay, well, now I need a change. Well, it's not that simple. I can't just pick it up and change. It's going to take some time here. And I'm worried about the quality of the play on the field. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the quality of the play has to be first and foremost for these leagues. People don't go to these games. They don't want to watch people lose. They don't want to watch teams play bad. They want to see teams that win and play good baseball. And I think it will impact fans in how they view some of these teams and some of these league games as well. Exactly. That's, That's a concern for me. It's just that play on the field aspect. I think we've kind of beaten the initial view from it. So let's go ahead and move into the two biggest and almost guaranteed name changes here. The first one we said earlier, it's moving the mound back. That is probably the most controversial change. Yep. And I really haven't seen many people say it as a good idea yet. Nope. But we'll talk about that in one second. The other one is computerized strike zone, which is more commonly known as a robo-wump. That one I haven't seen much pushback on. Any thoughts on those? Yeah, so to start with the mound, uh, the mound I think is a negative thing, moving it back. I think pitchers really thrive on things being the same over and over and over again, and their mechanics are the same. You'll have to adjust so many different things, even though they're only pr- proposing moving it back a couple of feet. Yeah, it's just repetition for them. But you get used to doing it in a certain way. Your mechanics, this, you're this that's why you see a lot of times pitchers when they go into new systems, they have a new pitching coach, there's a little bit of a drop-off sometimes. Oh, yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of drop-off in performance, and, and the way that they are viewed um, by their teammates as well it impacts them. But I think, to get back to the mound discussion, the, the main thing with, with the, the problem with the mound is that pitchers don't want to add any more stress than is already on their arms. So the, you hmm. see how many UCL injuries have we seen? You know, Tommy John surgeries, other problems with the UCL... And this is only going to impact that because you only have to throw the ball a farther length. And you only have to, and you have to move your arm and your legs and your entire body has to move a much longer length. So to me, I think the mound change is the one that I think will be the shortest lived. Mm-hmm. If I'm the Atlantic League, I say, okay, we can try it because this is our, our deal and our agreement. But I would certainly like to see that be the shortest lived of all. I think it's important that we quickly mention the general discussion is moving the mound back from 
say 60 and a half feet to either 61 and a half, 62, 63 at most. Yeah, so, so a couple of feet at most. Yeah, so that's the thing. Like, if you're going to move the mountain back, why are you moving it back that little? Right. Like, it's not going to make that big of a difference for batting average and like, the batting stats. And my bigger concern is when you start doing things like this, What's your end goal? I assume right. it's to go ahead and create more offense, which is supposed to be more exciting, and that's what Major League Baseball wants. But like I said earlier, they need to change. I don't think that's the way you change. The way I kind of view Major League Baseball in need is just becoming more, I guess, present in like an online space. Because I don't believe they fully have an understanding of why they're losing young viewers. I think they're in their mindset, and I could be totally off basis here, they're just viewing it as, well, football and basketball are the two big sports right now. They're the hottest sports and they're gaining the most people. Well, mainly basketball for gaining, but football's a giant, so it's never going to get knocked off. Right. And what they're viewing as, what they have, is an excitement thing. That's not really the case. What they have is personalities. What they have is a very online and forward-thinking presence. You see them, like, very active on... Twitter, on Instagram, on YouTube, on all these social media platforms. And even in like the court, even on the court for these basketball players, they are personalities. They're, exactly. The problem is baseball stifles, as you, I think you're going to allude to, stifles yep. these personalities. Yep. Not even necessarily stifles them, they just don't really encourage them to grow. Like a lot right. of times, like in hockey, you see the similar issue where it's a very much a team culture, a team game, which is a great thing to know and a great thing to have. However, you don't really see many personalities there. You can't market them. The best baseball player in the world right now is Mike Trout. Absolutely. There is absolutely no doubt. And with the contract Harper just got at 330, there's not a doubt in my mind. Trout's going to be over $400 million. Oh, easy. Probably pushing half a billion dollars to play baseball. Probably, yes. But you can't market him. There's nothing remarkable about Mike Trout's personality. I mean, there might be, but we don't know but, that because we don't interact with Mike Trout on YouTube, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter. And in every interview, it's very plain, very even keeled. There's not really much anything there. Like, the most remarkable thing about him is that he's a freak about the weather. He loves meteorology. Yeah. He, that's what we know about Mike Trout. That, that's that, it. <laughs> that's not enough. You could go ahead and play into that, but they don't. That, and they don't exactly make streaming easy. There's MLB TV, but they got tons of blackouts there, so... If I'm a Mets fan living in the New York market, I can't watch the Mets there. I can't watch the Yankees there. Depending on where I am in New Jersey, I may not even be able to get the Phillies, too. Yeah. That's three blackouts. Like, yeah, I mean, I, when I go, if we go down to the Jersey Shore and we stay wherever we're staying, you can't get any of the three teams, as you're suggesting. You can't get the Mets, I can't get the Mets, I can't get the Yankees, and I can't get the Phillies. So I can't watch any baseball that's not on cable television. Uh, unless I'm down there. And depending on where you're down, like how far down south you are, you may even be blocked out from Baltimore or Washington. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm not really sure. I'm sure if you're in Maryland, you certainly will be. Yeah. Or maybe Delaware. I'm not exactly. Pennsylvania. Yeah. Like you're going to get blocked out from these things. And the younger audience is not getting cable subscriptions. They're getting streaming services. And if you're not making it easy, I'm just going to say, oh, well, I'm not going to watch it. Yeah. And from what I've heard, MLB TV is not the most reliable streaming service either. So No, it's um, not reliable streaming. And, and, and some of the, the things that they have on there, some of the, the people that they have as auxiliary like, 
talking hosts are very dry in terms of what they're, they're producing. I don't think there's much other content besides just games. Yeah, I know. Like, there's no point in me paying 130 for the season. No. There's not really much of a point in me doing that. So, not only that, but from what I hear, they're very draconian on enforcing their copyright and their rights claims, which is not exactly a great thing. It's one thing if someone's making fistfuls of money off of you, but when you're cracking down on small YouTubers that are making maybe a couple hundred bucks a video on your stuff, all you're doing is killing free promotion. Yep. You're the money they're making as money you didn't have to pay them to promote your product. That's when people get interested now. They go through a whole tunnel. Like, it's different now. It's no longer, you know, you sit down, you listen to a game on the radio, you go to the ballpark, you become a baseball fan. A lot of people now is, okay, I saw it on there, let me buy the video game of it, get interested in that, look up certain players online, then dive into actual videos about actual baseball, and then that cycle starts. All you're doing is killing it by enforcing your copyright and knocking these people down, and it hurts your public image when you do that. Yeah, and back to your point about the, the basketball players. Hmm. So the basketball players are, are really brand themselves. LeBron James oh, yeah, is no, a LeBron brand. Is a yeah. So no matter Maybe where, Durant, Durant uh, Kyrie, they're, these are all brands. And so where, whatever team they go to, may have a lot more autonomy over where they can go, obviously, free agency. And, you know, you can talk about that, but that's a whole different conversation. But the point is, is that these guys are brands. And if the MLB it should be looking, instead of changing, moving the mound back, which seems like such a tangential thing to do. It's not been part of the game since its founding. Right. This is, like, the only thing that's changed is making the mound higher. And yeah. that was only because people were getting killed. Yeah, and that's important. And the thing is that they think it'll add some reaction time for the pitchers, but in reality, the thing that they need to do, if they're very concerned about pitcher safety, which is important, use those hats. Those hats are really, really good. Thing, those protective, saying. yeah, those protective hat helmet kind of things, you they're really stupid. good. I, they are kind of dumb looking, but I have worn one before. I had mm-hmm. the opportunity to wear one before, mm-hmm. and I think it is really a good thing. It's not too cumbersome, and if they can really mold that technology, that is the future, rather of protecting picture, pitchers and getting more people interested in the game, rather than you know, let's just throw something on a, a blackboard and hope it sticks. It's kind of like exactly the like that's the thing. Like the things Major League Baseball are suggesting, and I don't want to stay on them too long because we talked about them a lot already. Right. Even though you kind of have to in the context of the conversation, they're changing things that don't need to be changed. That no one was clamoring for. They wanted the DH gone out of the NL. They want a pitch clock. They want to change extra inning rules. They want to change all sorts of other things. The mound. You're changing things that nobody was clamoring for. I've never heard someone go, you know what, the mound's too close to home plate. Or I've never heard an NL baseball fan go, you know what, we need to have a DH. Every time it's suggested, it's shouted down going, no, we like the difference. Baseball fans like it. It's a reminder, these were separate leagues at one point. That's why we call them leagues, not conferences. Right, yeah, and even American League fans don't have a problem with the DH. I personally like the DH. I think it's one of those good things that shows the history of the game. And I I think we can't get away from the history of the game. And and kind of parlaying this into the Atlantic League, I think it does ruin kind of the mystique of baseball a little bit if you take these adjustments too far. Um, So moving to the auto umpire. Yeah, I'm going on to that because I think we spent all we can here. I think it's very clear that, you know, the changes that need to be made are more off the field than on the field changes. Certainly for the mound issue. <laughs> yeah. But but to the the automatic, the automated umpire, that's actually one of the things that I, I actually do like. Yeah, now that's... Like, I, I don't mean to cut you off, but, like, how many times is there that pitch that's just way outside, it's clearly a sh- or it's clearly a ball, rather, and it's called a strike? 
How many times yep. does that happen? And in the postseason, it's frustrating. It is. And the thing is, when people call it a robo-ump or a robotic ump, it gives you this idea that there's some, like, robot creature you'd see out of the 80s that's standing behind home plate calling the strikes and whatnot. It really isn't that. What it all is, is like a pro tracer. And the umpire's just there to go ahead and still keep everything there. There's still a human behind the plate. Right. Like, that's the thing. It's not like it's a robot there. It's just the umpire's not the one calling the strikes. It's just somebody that's up in a booth going ahead looking at it going, yep, that's a strike. Yeah, and certainly for certainly for balls and strikes, I mean, because you can't argue them, because there's so many things that prohibit it, I, I think there's a need for this, because having played baseball, there's nothing more frustrating than, than you know that an umpire is having trouble seeing pitch, because sometimes, it, depending on how an umpire actually crouches down, they might miss parts of the plate, and so if you're missing the entire inside corner of the plate, and I'm framing it as a strike, and it's a strike, that you're calling it a ball every single time, it isn't entirely so frustrating for players and fans alike. You know how many fans get so angry about these calls? <laughs> you know, I mean, how many dads have been, you know, in front of yeah. the TV screaming at him? And the most unsatisfying thing is, after that game, the umpire goes ahead and looks at it, or has someone from Major League Baseball tell him, look, you, you call a bad game, and then they call ahead and say, yeah, it appears I did go ahead and miss some strikes and some balls there. Yeah, and they oh, apologize. Sorry, it won't happen again. Yeah, well, apologize. that doesn't help you. Like, if if it happens in the regular season, it's whatever, unless yeah. it's down the stretch. It's one of 162. Yep. Which, if we're talking about scheduling, that's something major league baseball may actually like start changing and making the season shorter. Agreed. They won't do it because it will cost them revenue. Agreed. Though. But they won't. But they should. If it happens during the regular season, it's not that big of a deal. Nope. You get over it. It sucks. But by the next game, you're on to something else. But when it happens in game three of a pennant game, it's frustrating because now it goes from being either 2-0 to 3-0, or 1-1 to 2-1, it affects the outcome a lot more. Yep, and, and also I, I think, just specifically looking at it from the Atlantic League, this is particularly a good thing, because umpires at the Atlantic League and Independent League Baseball level are not at the same level as mm. MLB umpires. So these aren't your cream of the crop umpires, not to hate on them. They're yeah, just because they're working their way up. Stating so. fact, they're working their way up, they're still learning how to do it at this high level. And so to me, I think that having this umpire is really this automatic umpire. Yeah. It's really, really a good thing of being able to kind of control that progress a little bit more and can also control the quality of these games. Plus, I forget which article I had read. It's one of the ones that we linked in the show notes, I know. But I believe it was back in 2013, the Atlantic League started telling their umpires have a higher strike zone. Move it up. Just to try and go ahead and create, I assume, more offense. If you're moving where the strike zone really is, you're trying to tell them, like, I want you to kind of bump it up a bit. That's a problem. It's not, and I think the general question here that I think we're going to have to kind of, like, set the stage for, and I think we should discuss now, is this a good thing for the autonomy of the league to go ahead and essentially for three years be, like, the uh, just the driver sitting in the autopilot car? Yeah, I, I, I think, again, back to my uh, how I opened the show, it's kind of twofold. Because I think it'll certainly get more people to watch Atlantic League hmm. baseball. Certainly scouts and, and things like that. Hmm. And baseball purists will discuss it. And baseball people who like analytics will discuss it. So I certainly think that more people will watch initially. However, for the integrity of the game, I think it is problematic. And I also think just the not having control over your league. If this doesn't work, if the mound doesn't work, and guys' arms are getting injured at the Atlantic League level, the, the reason the MLB did this and didn't implement it in 
in affiliated ball, let's be honest, is because they don't want to force their own prospects. And so the question is, can the Atlantic League get out of some of these rules if they have to for player safety? And that is one of my biggest things, is what you're talking about with the autonomy. They have to be able to have some agency over their own league and their own product that they're putting out. Yep, I'd agree with that a lot. Less of a mystique angle and more of just like from a business standpoint. Yeah. I'm concerned at how some changes like this would affect like just general operations of things. How at first I had said this could be good for recruiting because there's going to be more stats there available for scouts to look at. But when you start changing the actual play on the field, now it's kind of manipulating what the scouts are seeing. It manipulates the numbers more. So I'm concerned from that angle. I'm a little bit concerned also from a sense of how people are going to respond to that for some of these changes. I'm sure minor things, even some of the major things, like we said with the RoboStrike Zone, some other minor things I'm sure will come up, just like general equipment, like saying, okay, we're going to change how long a bat can be, things like that really won't affect much. And there's going to be a solid base that's still going to show up to the ballpark. However, there's just certain things there that I don't like giving the reins over to. I don't like having zero control over my league. Seems like you're the stepchild of Major League Baseball now. And that could either be a very good thing or it could be a very bad thing. And I think it's one of those things that time's going to show is either going to be a great success or a great failure. Certainly, you know, wait and see approach is always mm-hmm. important in these things. There's the one thing that I am glad that the Atlantic League put in there. And I'm pretty sure it was going to be forced in there if, or this deal was going to fall through was that Major League Baseball was going to, at the very least, pay for a large percentage of upgrading these ballparks. Right, yep. And to fit them with all the tracking technology. I don't believe the Atlantic League was going to go ahead and go, we agree to that and we'll pay for it. I think it was going to be a very much, we'll agree to it, but you're going to pay for it. Because I know on Twitter we also had someone ask more as a general question to the Atlantic League, but then we had answered it, was, will this affect ticket prices? Will, this, will prices go up to it? Right. And... I gotta say, I don't think that's going to affect it. I don't think so either. Any sort of pay rates, I think it's just, like, price rise. It's just gonna be normal price rise. It's gonna be unrelated to this. If anything, prices will stay the same. Prices never go down. That's the first rule. Yeah. Because you're, you're conditioned to pay it, so you're gonna pay it. Being that you're already at that stage, I don't see prices going up. I think that would just scare more people away. Yeah, no, no way prices go up. I do think, though, that it, it is a possibility that these teams could have to put some of these adjustments. I'm uh, sure there'll be a small percentage small of the percentage, percentage, but I'm major league base is going to pay for most of it. They'll pay for most of it, and I certainly mm-hmm. don't believe uh, that the prices will go up. That would be that would be that would be a bad be an deal. Extreme. That would be a bad deal for the Atlantic League if they had to rate if teams had to raise prices in order to equip themselves. This would be a bad deal. So I think that that was certainly built into this this conversation. I'm sure by all Atlantic League owners before they made this deal. Yep. And so just quickly before we jump to reactions on this from the outside source, because we have about three pages full of, four pages full of quotes here from various different people on it that we'll be uh, kind of dissecting and reading through. I wonder how other independent leagues are going to view this, because none of them have made any sort of an official comment on this yet. And obviously they have no reason to comment on it. Um, it doesn't affect their league at all. Um, well, not directly at least. But if things do go wrong, and the scouting really doesn't pan out like you would like it to. So players start to go, okay, well, maybe I should jump to the American Association, or maybe I should go to the Can-Am League. Because we've already seen, there's some guys in the Can-Am League that probably could be in the Atlantic League if they want to. Certainly, yeah. 
like the Syriaco who decided to go there, uh, obviously, I think he made the decision more to play with his brother right, yeah. than anything else. But Latos last year, various yep. other guys that, you know, have gotten their cup of coffee or even longer in Major League Baseball. Absolutely. So I, I could see that being a, uh, some potential thing. Yeah, I think certainly. Yeah, yeah, sorry to cut you off. But, uh, yeah, no, I definitely think that the, the, the Can-Am League and other leagues, the American Association, especially, because they're so close. Yeah, they're very, they're very similar. Yeah, in terms of the way that they build their league. Um, I think that those two leagues in particular will kind of pounce on this opportunity of some guys who are a little bit freaked out by this, certainly early on, who will be freaked out by not wanting to go and be the, the, uh, you know, the guinea pig, the, the test, yep. uh, you know, subject for, for uh, the major league baseball. So, yep. I, I think the baseball purist, quote unquote, kind of guys will certainly probably look toward these other leagues, especially if they're getting comparable pay rates. Um, yeah, know. that's the thing though, is it just to, like, cut you off. Yeah. Is, that's one thing that's gonna change. The facilities aren't as nice, the pay isn't as good. However, if you're just viewing indie ball as a stepping stone to getting back up into major league ball or back to affiliated ball, it makes very little difference, I think, of what the conditions are. I think it's wherever you have the best shot of achieving that goal. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with that. So, I'm gonna, it's gonna be interesting to see if they start to, uh, become more predatory towards, uh, the Atlantic League and what they have. So let's kind of dive into reactions on this. Uh, because there's been a whole mess of them. Uh, we picked some select ones from Twitter to read out mainly players and people that cover the, uh, baseball for particular networks or other accounts. Uh, so let's go ahead and dive into some of them. Uh, let's get the Atlantic League reaction first. So from Atlantic League President Rick White, these are just some of the things that he said. I'm going to read off here. Uh, he said, we have enjoyed this working agreement the past four years that has largely covered the transfer of players. Informally, we commenced that discussion. We began a dialogue. We told them that we will do things we believe are in the best interests of professional baseball. If it is useful to you, great. Another quote. We now, uh, we kind of have this happy intersection of our intentions and their initiatives where it is now formalized. We kind of had this happy intersection of intentions and initiatives and, and also Another quote is now each game uh, we will will be transmitted on each uh, to each of the 30 MLB clubs. Uh, a number of scouts and ha- had suggested over the past few weeks uh, that if we could ever get a get track men in it, it would be a difference in exposure that the players would receive. And then another quote is because of the nature of our players, virtually ever every one uh, of our games is scouted. But the, the challenges the scouts had. Was always they always had the difficulty of interpreting their personal view versus the advanced analytics uh, that every affiliated player, double AA, A, triple A, uh, has had in the past. I think that's a good point to just jump in here. Yeah. That's a lot to dissect there. Yep. So it seems like the and I don't think it'd be any sort of a surprise that the overwhelming response there from the president of the Atlantic League is positive. Oh yeah. Obviously, if it wasn't positive, they wouldn't have done the deal. Yep. Or at the very least, they wouldn't be making their descent known to it. But it definitely seems like they're leaning into the, this is going to actually be good for players because of the scouting aspect of it. And that's the part that we've been discussing as to, is it really though? Because as we're going to go ahead and bring up here, and one of the quotes I have, uh, from Tyler Batamo. Uh, he was used to pitch in the major leagues. He was always an affiliated ball until this year, where yeah. he's pitching for the Long Island Ducks. Mm-hmm. And so in which he said, 
The sweet spot you're talking about is 60 feet 6 inches. Been that way since 1893. The Players Union will never allow this change in Major League Baseball. So we're going to be the guinea pigs or something will never, that will never happen. That was in response to someone debating about, with him over the mound size. Yep. And another thing he had said, this was in two separate quotes. They're asking us to throw from a different distance than what is required in affiliated balls, which everyone is trying to get back to. That's the reason we go to the, go to the league. How about the injury risk that will increase drastically because of having professional baseball pitchers learn to pitch at a new distance that they've been pitching at since we were 13 years old? And I gotta agree with him there. It definitely, it, I, it does affect the stats here. And as he goes ahead and said elsewhere, it affects how the, uh, not right here. Just do not understand. What are we supposed to do? Go an extra bullpen a week at a real, at the real distance? That way we get picked up by any league? It's not even that we're just going back to affiliated ball. Overseas and winter ball teams scout us heavily. What are they going to say when we, I assume it means when we say we've been pitching from this distance? Right, yeah, and I think he's absolutely correct as we covered earlier that, you know, these, these changes also probably won't be implemented at the large scale. You know, they're probably at a much shorter scale. Exactly. Like, that's the thing that a lot of, a lot of people are talking about is that and these guys play winter ball. A lot of them go to Australia and play in the Australian League during the winter. Yeah. So when that happens, it requires you to go ahead and I'll play by their rules. So baseball's rules typically have always been the same. So when you start changing certain things, it makes it hard to scout. And it's not like they're going to have that information because as White said in the one quote there, it's going to all 30 major league teams. Yep. Now, I would assume that each one of these independent teams will have access to their players' stats. And that a winter ball team would just have to go to the GM and go, hey, we're interested in player X. Can we get his advanced numbers? Can we get all the information from your track man? And I want to see why a team would go, no, you can't have it. So I'm very conflicted on it. I definitely see Rick's point. Yeah. Rick White makes very good points of we're going to find out what the actual competitive level is here. We're going to get more numbers. Mm-hmm. Everyone's going to be happy. But when you see Tyler's point, he makes a very good point. Like, we haven't released any information yet, so everyone ha- who has a contract and is already set up for the year has no idea what distance to pitch at to get ourselves ready. You know, he's saying, like, I don't know how to prep for this. They haven't told us yet. Right. And I understand you don't want to tell the whole league because then you're announcing it's a league, but once it gets made, you should have at least a rough outline to be able to tell guys this. Because their tryouts are in, at the end of the month, in 30 mm-hmm. days. Yep. So you have not only that, but then a month from now, Teams like Long Island and individual team workouts are going to happen. Yep. So you're going to want to practice. It takes more than a month to go ahead and get everything going. Oh, yeah, certainly. Especially if you have a change like moving the mound back. Yep. It, you're going to need a, a month just to go ahead and start to figure out where my breaking ball is going to start to break now, let alone velocity. Yeah, but, but the flip side of the coin on that more positive note is, uh, you know, a quote here from Atlantic League founder Frank Bolton. Uh, and he says, it's a wonderful collaboration and opportunity to see our logos side by side with Major League Baseball is a great step forward for the Atlantic League. It's a great day for the Atlantic League. We thank Major League Baseball. So to me, uh, that encapsulates why the league has done this. Mm-hmm. Is Look at our logo and look at Major League Baseball's logo. We're together. We are a partnership with them. The problem is, like we've been talking about all, all, all episode here, is that there's no way to kind of see how this is going to turn out. And, and there's there's no, this has never been done before. These implements, uh, these changes have been implemented, and I really think it could be a negative thing more than it is a positive. Oh yeah, no, it could be, but I, like, I, just to 
support Bolton or Bolton here. Yeah. I get what he's going for because it does add prestige when you see Major League Baseball right next to it. When you see that, that seal on it, you know, the white, blue, and red, the Major League Baseball right underneath, it adds a certain something to it. It makes you seem very important. It makes you, it gives you a sense of credibility. Absolutely. It adds to that where it's like, well, if they're working with Major League Baseball, then they have to be. And that does help, especially if, as it seems in the most recent history, the Atlantic League wants to continue to expand. And Frank himself was the guy that was sent by Atlantic City to fight a baseball pennant. And right, clearly, yeah. he's still very much involved with the Atlantic League and was definitely lobbying for that. Obviously, he thinks this is going to be a positive and could help them grow. And that could help draw people in if you see Major League Baseball there. Now, that could be just taking something a step farther, logically, than really exists. But I'm not sure. I think that's part of it, though. I think it's the credibility and how it goes. If you move into a new place and you go to, say, I don't know, maybe New Orleans, you know, they're going to be out of the team soon enough. And go, look, we want to put a team here. It's going to be a nice kind of middle ground place between our team in Texas and our team in North Carolina. We want a team in New Orleans. We're even affiliated with Major League Baseball, not affiliated with Major League Baseball, but we have an agreement with them. Right, yeah. And it, We're acknowledged. And also, it certainly helps in getting some of those bigger name players yeah. uh, to go, oh, though this, this league is in some way partnered with Major League Baseball, and therefore, it gives me that credibility, that security to go, well, MLB teams are still looking at me in this league. It's not just mm-hmm. some random league somewhere, like, unfortunately, a Pecos league, where you're not going to get a lot of eyeballs. I mean, it's just a exactly. fact you of the matter. You get more views there than anywhere else. Yeah, that's, you that's get, get more views at, at the Atlantic League, and certainly with this new data and radar system uh, that they're talking about more than anywhere else. Exactly. That's just the, the facts of the matter there. Uh, I believe we also have some comments from the Somerset team. Yeah, so uh, Somerset Patriots... Chairman Emeritus uh, Steve Calfer, a founding board member of the Atlantic League, did have some quotes, and I have a lot of respect for Steve Calfer. I think he's a both a good businessman and a, a great owner as well. Uh, so this is kind of what he had to say. Um, this landmark partnership between Major League Baseball and the Atlantic League shows the respect that the MLB has for our league. Uh, and then another quote, we, we have the opportunity for the Somerset Patriots and the Atlantic League to advance the future of the game we love. This isn't only looking at history, it's about making history. We couldn't be prouder and more excited to participate in this groundbreaking agreement with Major League Baseball. And to go off of that a little bit, I agree with, with what Steve's saying to the extent of what we've been talking about in terms of how this helps the brand of these teams and the league in general. But again, problematically is what are we giving up for this branding? What are we giving exactly. up for this extra marketing? At what cost does this come at? And well, I, like I said, I'm always very leery about giving the wheel to somebody else. Just giving up that autonomy is the thing that sticks with me. And I understand, like, people are affiliated with the league. They're not going to say they're, we're concerned about that. Because obviously, if that was a major concern, you would have altered it a bit to give yourself some sort of a veto power, which I don't think exists in this, which is something I would have lobbied extremely hard for if said, we want to be able to veto one rule a year. That way you could go ahead and have some control over yourself still. I do agree with what he says to a point where, like I said, this that autonomy bit is what really stuck out. Moving on from there to more from less of a uh, front office and boardroom role to more of an actual on-the-field role, uh, Jamie Keefe, the new manager of the High Point Rockers, new team coming in this year, longtime manager of both uh, the New Jersey Jackals and the Rockland Boulders, 
it had to say on the uh, agreement, the ability to feature advanced radar tracking technology at BB&T Point is a game changer. For our staff and our players to now be able to use the same statistical measurements of that major league clubs use will help us attract better talent and then mold that talent to reach the major leagues. Which, I agree with that statement. It definitely will help the coaching staff. And I think that's something we haven't really touched on. Right. How that data can be used in-house. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you look at the way the analytics is used now in-game, uh, and, and shifts can be now implemented into the Atlantic League. You're going to see a lot of more advanced ways that the game is being played in the MLB come into the Atlantic League. So certainly from a X's and O's standpoint, to use that term, uh, it is certainly something that is good for the idea of creating a better uh, league and certainly a better environment for these players. Yep, and that's something I'm going to be interested to see. Because a lot of the managers here do have some experience at a, a higher level. Right. Or they've just been doing it for a long time so they know what they're doing. To see this added in, I think is really going to help develop players. And I think that's something that's going to keep a lot of players in-house. Like we've been saying a lot, are some of these changes going to scare players away to go to other leagues where they play by generally the same rules as Major League Baseball? This is something that may keep them there, just because you'll have more resources to help you develop. Yeah, it'll definitely keep um, it'll keep the skill position player. So it'll keep your outfielders, it'll keep your infielders, you know, the, your power hitters. All of those guys will certainly still be attracted to how their stats look. But for pitchers, I think it's going to become a little bit more precarious of a situation. And they, they may be the ones, certainly the more established veteran pitchers might be the ones that you see leave to go to other leagues just because while all these stats are great for development, it's not really great for the guy who's been around a long time. Yeah, no, that, I think that's really what the general consensus here is, is that that guy that's 30 is looking for his way to get back. That's not really going to help you, but for younger guys that have kind of, I don't want to say have failed as a prospect, but they certainly are teetering on that edge. It definitely doesn't help you to go ahead and uh, to not have that information. It helps a lot more to be able to go, okay, well, your spin rate's not where it needs to be. You need to increase your spin rate more or do whatever it may be that, you know, is necessary to increase your numbers. So I think it's going to be more of just more of a gray area for pitchers because it's going, well, I'm changing how I'm pitching. However, the information I'm getting from this tells me a lot more because this is what major league teams are looking for now. Every front office has a large analytic department. Just because I had a good ERA here before, my spin rate matters more. This matters more, like these advanced numbers do. The question is, does moving the mound back impact some of these analytics? It does. And but I think it does. And I think that's, again, some of the, the issue I have just with that one particular rule. I mean, we've been hung up on it for a while. Because it's such a major thing. It's right. a fundamental change. I don't say it's on the level of adding an extra base, but it affects the game nearly as much. It is, yeah. Because now it's you're taking something away from a pitcher. Especially now that Major League Baseball and really all baseball is focused on how hard can you throw. It's went from being a game where it's a marathon, not a sprint. I need you to go eight innings and then we'll give it to the closer and then he'll do what he does. And if you can go ahead and throw 250 innings a year, good. Now it's, I need you to get through five, maybe six of the bullpens had a rough go of it late. Just throw as hard as you can for as long as you can and just keep it within reason. That's how it is now. So when you go ahead and now are telling people, we're going to move you back, it's affecting your velocity, it's affecting your breaking ball, you either have to throw harder, which risks more injury, like we pointed out, like the quotes have pointed out, mm-hmm. or you have to adjust to a different style, or just get hit more. It's a major change, and that's why we're hung up on it. It is, yeah, and I, I think to, to the point of what it's going to do for velocity is 
velocity is one of those things, like you said, has become so important to pitchers now, especially in Major League Baseball, but even in the lower levels that we're talking about with the Independent League, the Atlantic League specifically, is looking at, at, is that velocity continuing to go higher? And I think for a lot of these teams, it's important, and a lot of these players, it's important to see that velocity continue to increase over their time there. And if they don't see that increase, it hurts their stock. And the problem is you can't even measure velocity from the two, you know, from the two feet back. You know, it, it's not the same velocity, and you're right. They're, they're either going to get hurt because they're overthrowing, because they're trying to get that velocity back, or they're just simply going to give up more, especially more home runs, because you're going to be able to see the ball at a bet and create that launch angle a little bit better. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. So let's kind of go ahead here and just get the final two aspects of this here. Let's see what the major league aspect is, because I believe it was Morgan Sword, who was the guy that was really, and I guess pardon the weapons pun, but spearheading the whole process here on their end. <laughs> yeah, M Morgan Sword, MLB Senior Vice President of League Economics and Operations. He had to say, we've been taking a lot uh, to our clubs and to the Players Association about changes to rules on the field. We have prototypes of new equipment we want to see in action. Our group thought it was better to see them tested in unaffiliated league baseball. Well, of course, because you're not... <laughs> exactly, you're, not, you're not risking the owner's money now. You're not risking the owner's money, and also the Players Association isn't going to be oh, yeah, uh, consulted. Exactly, yeah, the union's not existing in these leagues. Yeah, of course. So, I mean, that's the way to get around that. Um, and the, another quote uh, that I thought was particularly interesting is, I think the radar system has two benefits. It will very precisely measure the effects of the changes we are making, the second reason is clubs are hungry for this type of information for scouting purposes. This allows all 30 teams to have continuous access to all on-field results. Now, I think that is a very important one, and that is the reason, uh, the main reason this uh, deal has been completed, uh, is for to see the, the data and the analytics the way that you see it at Major League Baseball and at the affiliated level. Which I think comes right back to our point that mainly I was harping on with their influence in the tech space and how the game's changed, how it's about numbers now. It's about technology now, not about the way it was in the 70s and in the 80s when analytics didn't exist. It's analytic-driven now when building a roster. It's how can I view the game online now as my way of viewing and consuming the game. That's how it is now. And it's clear that the Atlantic League's starting to realize that as well and says, well, maybe we can help our players out by doing this. I understand there's a lot of risk here, and I think that's something that I do want to commend the Atlantic League on, because I'm sure if you've just been listening, you're thinking we're kind of bagging on them a lot, that we're kind of condemning them, because it's been widely very kind of critical of them to this point right, yeah. with a lot of things here, and I believe that's deservedly so. But it's definitely a huge risk for them. And if this turns out to be a very good deal, or even if it turns out to be an okay deal that just doesn't work out the best way for Major League Baseball, they decide not to re-up, hey, you got free tracking software out of it. If it doesn't get renewed, you still got the tracking software for free. You still got a lot of stuff out of this for free or for a very discounted rate. So it's a huge risk from it. And I do want to commend them for taking a risk and taking a chance, which I'm sure a lot of leagues would have said, you know what, I'm just going to stay away from it. I don't want to take this risk. Yeah, I totally think it was a great decision to take that risk in terms of um, being able to progress the game forward in terms of independent league baseball. But to me, I, I don't think I'm being critical. I think we're taking a, a wait-and-see approach, certainly. I think we're pointing out some of the things that could go wrong. But myself, I, I don't believe I've, I can, I've had enough information to have really an mm. opinion on it yet. 
just some of the, we're raising some of the issues that they could contend with, uh, you know, the problems that they, they might have to contend with here. So, for me, I think it's, again, it's wait and see, and it's really making sure that this is implemented properly. I think, you know, if it's implemented properly, you can have a great, um, a great uh, way that this could work, but if it's not implemented properly and players don't have information like we're seeing now, and, and things continue to be somewhat hectic, like the release was a little bit hectic, if they can rein that in and really keep it structured like they're known for, they're a very stable league, as I've pointed out before um, in articles, and also you've touched upon many times, that you know they're, they're a very professional league. So if they can continue to do things the way they typically do, I think it, it has a very good chance of working out. But I think we're right to try, yeah. kind of point out some of the flaws or the warts that might be poking through in this deal. Yep. And just to quickly summarize, I think, at the very least, the Atlantic League's position on this whole thing, one quote from Chris Young, he's a former Major League pitcher, I suppose he's best known for his time with the Padres, he's the current vice president of on-field ops initiatives and strategies with Major League Baseball. And so one sentence quote, advanced analytic data is fundamental component to modernization of scouting and player development. And that's what drove all of this innovation on the end of the Atlantic League to go ahead and change everything it is. Because they've realized, I think, or at least gotten feedback from certain scouts that they just don't have the data and teams don't want to take a risk on something that they don't know the data on and they can't do that risk assessment on. Yeah, certainly the the, the, the data that they're going to gather from this initiative is going to be really good. Like you said, for, no matter if this works out for Major League Baseball or not, it's good for the Atlantic League in terms of being able to get this technology in ballpark. Because Major League Baseball isn't going to rip out this technology when they're done. They're going to leave this technology in, so whether they continue their program or not, this will be a step up for, eventually, for the Atlantic League, perhaps after some of these rule changes have been taken out of play, um, just because of, you know, and things may have shifted back to a more traditional setting. We have any sort of uh, final total comments here? on this before we move on because we spent about an hour on this now so <laughs> the, the, the thing is too I just want to underscore it before anything else it's just that this is just such a watershed groundbreaking move that we've really never seen before in independent league baseball it's almost as if, if it's a, like an olive branch to show like we acknowledge you exist and we don't have any desire to kill you off or anything like that that we are fine with you existing as you do now and that's why I think it was definitely worth the time because there's just so much to talk about. And that we'll, we're going to continue to talk about this both in written pieces and video pieces. There's going to be a lot more coming, especially in the time before uh, we can actually start talking about baseball. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, just as a, as a capstone on it, like I said, I think overall this is a chance to be a great thing for not only Atlantic League Baseball, but Independent League Baseball as a whole. So I, I, I want to hesitate a little bit. I'm saying that I'm, I'm critical. We may have sounded critical, but I really think we're, we just love independent league baseball so much, and especially the Atlantic League. It's such a good form of independent league baseball that we don't want to see that product ruined or in any way tarnished. But for us, I also think that, you know, being such big fans of Atlantic League baseball, this is a great move. We'd be, we would be um, remiss. remiss, yes, to say that this move was not in any way good. This is going to be a good step for the Atlantic League in the long run, as long as things are implemented in a very good and structured way. Yep. Even if it's not, if there is flaws in it, this still is, could be a terrific learning experience, yep. as long as they handle it right. There's a lot you can take away from this here, and I think you're going to get a lot of feedback from both Major League to the Atlantic League, and at the very least, I think from a business perspective, they're going to get 
a lot of feedback from Major League Baseball on how to really improve their brand. Because as much as I know me in particular has been very critical of Major League and their branding, they're still a major brand. Yep. They're still probably the second or third most popular sport in the United States. And Absolutely, yeah. And certainly one of the more popular sports brands across really the world. Yep. So there's definitely something that the Atlantic Lake can take away from that, especially as as we've seen with their uh, recent expansions. I suppose Sugarland being one of the more recent ones, even though that's well over a decade now. Yeah. And now with High Point, they're definitely branching out from their comfort zone. And so, obviously, they're trying to become more than just a regional league. So it's going to be very interesting to see where they go from here. Certainly. I think we're going to need a break now from talking about it. Let's dive into a seventh inning stretch real quick and then kind of hit up everything else here because this is probably going to, this is definitely going to be our longest show yet. (laughs) Once again, though, I'm definitely cool with the time length on it. More indie ball report, the better. That's what I always say. Exactly. You know, you can't hear on it. But one thing, the really only thing I got to bring to the table now is after watching the Islanders play the Leafs last night, last night being Thursday night for those listening, the way they treated John Tavares is, I don't want to say it's pathetic, but it is pretty pathetic. <laughs> it's yeah, sad. It's, it's certainly not good. I mean, you know, the thing it's, is that, uh, you know, we were talking about this off air a little bit, that when, when you look at great players returning, Sometimes this happens. Oklahoma City didn't treat Durant great. You know, things like that. These happens. But that's fair. I think there's a certain level where it's it's expected and it's fair. You can boo players. You can chant at players. But once you start throwing things at players, once you start being so obscene about it, I think there's a point where that need, where the class aspect of an organization needs to allow a player to just be, you know, fans just need to allow a player to be, you know, who he is and understand that fine. He, he didn't stay here, but he was there for nine seasons, and he gave them everything he had. That's the thing. And I'm about to go on a bit of a rant on it. Oh, boy. So I don't want this to sound like I'm going after every Islander fan, because I'm not. I know there's a, tons of them that appreciate Tavares for what he did, don't agree with the way he went off at, and the whole nine were very respectful to him and appreciate his contributions to the island. However... Was it necessary to throw rubber snakes on the ice? Was it necessary to throw jerseys at him? I understand the chanting throughout the whole game. Some of the chants were well-deserved. However, to say Tavares did you wrong, to say Tavares went ahead and put you in a worse spot than you could have been in, is patently wrong. Yes, he said, I'm still interested in signing, please don't trade me at the deadline last year. But here's the thing. You want to point fingers at somebody for him not being moved? Don't go to Tavares, who not only did not have a new move clause or anything of that nature. Point at your GM, who decided, I can sign him. I know I can. I'm not going to trade him. When you have an asset like John Tavares, you should have said from the get-go, this is my deadline for getting a deal done. If by, say, February 1st, there is not an agreement reached, we're going to start shopping you. And there's no promises we're not going to trade you. That's how you handle that. I understand you want to keep him. And everybody loved him until he signed with Toronto. Yep, and you go after this guy. Not that he like left and went to San Jose, which he has no attachment to. Not that he left and went to like Dallas or some other far-reaching team. He left and went to the team he grew up rooting for as a kid. His hometown team. And then to go ahead and be on him the whole night the way you were, which I'm fine with. 
I agree. I can see how you didn't like how he leave, how he left, even though he did it with full class on the way on the way out. And it's still not said a bad thing about the Islanders, from which I would have just trashed them for the whole game afterwards. Honestly, that makes me feel if I'm a free agent, if I'm like a Panarin or a Bobrovsky, which I'm sure they're going to be looking at in the offseason, that makes me go, wow, I don't want to play there. Absolutely, yep. It makes me go, if I am like a Barzal when my contract starts to get up, wow, these fans are passionate, however, they don't really treat players that great. You didn't see New Jersey do that when Parisi left. You haven't seen a lot of teams do that when their stars leave. And if you have a problem with it, once again, that goes to Garth Snow. And to say, well, they got Lamarillo in there, and they got Trotz in there. That's great. Tavares wasted a decade of his career. You figure if you're a star player that relies heavily on skill, you have about 20 years in professional hockey. He wasted about half of them for three playoff trips, one playoff series win. He wasted that time. Because totally. not, not once... Was he given anyone to help him? Nope. What, who was his mean two wingers for most of his career? Matt Molson, who has all but flailed out of the league, and was shown that it's clearly Tavares carrying him. And Kyle Ocposo, who is a fine second-line winger, but has no business being on Tavares' wing for a team that intends to contend. Yep. You want to get on somebody. It's not John Tavares you should be getting on. You should be getting on the terrible situation that was your front office, the fact that the best coach he had up to this point was Jack Capuano, who looks like he just stumbled out of a bad night in Vegas half the time, <laughs> and he couldn't coach to save his life, especially towards the end. You want to get on him for that. The Islanders are the people you should be annoyed at. I understand booing him. I understand a lot of the chance to him. I understand to a certain point all the signs and whatnot, calling him a snake and everything, which he's not. He made a business decision, and anyone else would have made that same decision. Especially because at a certain point, you know you're going to make a certain amount of money. You know you're going to be in this general range. So you go, where am I going to win? I don't blame him at all. And another thing that the Islanders aren't counting on, almost all his money is guaranteed. Because it's all in signing bonuses. His actual salary isn't that much. But he has over $100 million in signing bonuses. So you cut him through a buyout. You can't move him. It's lockout proof. He's done the best possible contract available to him. And he went to a team that was a dumpster fire for a very long time, but has a head coach, has a GM, has a terrific team around him where he knows he's going to be playing with a top winger hockey. Yep. I don't see how you can blame him for this. And it's just it's frustrating to me to see how ungrateful they are. And also a very classy move to all the fans that continued to boo during the video tribute, but didn't even stop booing for when they showed all the charity work he was doing with the sick kids in the hospital. Class move there, which you could tell they were still booing, even on TV, because the booing only ceased once the cable networks patched into the in-house audio feed. As it was fading out, it was still very loud, and when it came back in, it was even louder. I'm just saying, don't boo the guy during the trip. Agreed. It's just... Lack of class right there. Lack of class for some fans. It is. I don't get it. I don't get it. Like, as a Rangers fan, I'm predisposed not to like you guys. <laughs> but I'm just trying to think of any player I would have done that to if it was the same situation. And honestly, the thing I come to is probably would have been happy with it. Probably would have blamed the front office, though. Like, straight up here, if, if Lundquist said today, I don't want to be on the team anymore, I want to go win a cup somewhere. 
I wouldn't blame them at all. I would be as simple as, where do you want to go? We'll try and get it done. Give me your top three teams. Yep. Simple. Thank him for everything he's done, because at the end of the day, I know where he is. He's not trashing the organization on the way out, just like Tavares did. And I, I just, I honestly hope the Islanders get knocked down the first round. <laughs> and the response to the chant of, we don't need you, when they asked Tavares about it, I just hope he goes, well, I guess they needed me after all. <laughs> but he's too classy of a gentleman for that, so he won't. I can't. Yeah, that, that was a mess last time. That was a mess. I can't believe that. You got anything else here? No, no. Moving no. on. <laughs> All right. Let's get through the seventh inning stretch here because we still got a handful of things to get through here and we're over an hour now. So <laughs> let's go ahead and, uh, on to the next thing. The Cleborn Rail Riders Radio Roundup deal. Oh, yeah. Let's get some of the base stats here. The Rail Riders, they are based out of Claiborne, Texas. It's about 35 minutes outside of Fort Worth. So general Dallas Metroplex area. They struck this deal while we were recording last week, and we would have probably made this one of our premier deals if the uh, Atlantic League agreement didn't go through. So so the basic deal here, uh, they made it with uh, KOME, or better known as 95.3K Hits FM, playing all the classic hits. So this is all classic rock, 70s, 80s stuff. Oh, very nice. Yep. They are going to carry all 100 games, both home and away, and have a 30-minute Game. That is big time. Yep, no, this is this is huge for them. Only in their third year, they have a radio deal that will definitely help the community uh, engagement. There's going to be a series of in-game promotions sponsored by the radio station. And it, all of this is going to be done by the two-man crew, uh, Brad Allred and Denning Gearing. What do we think of a radio deal? I think it's great. I think any team that can get a radio deal should do it immediately. I think, I think radio deals really make teams... Uh, be able to really have that exposure, and it's really great. And also, I think that uh, teams should start looking at uh, live streaming on YouTube and other things like that. Mm. Um, maybe maybe paid live stream or whatever, however you want to do it. I think there's, there's a way to do it um, with announcers, not not just you know live streaming, but yep. with announcers that is that doesn't even necessarily go through radio. That is a very good way, but certainly for this radio. Definitely a great start, and definitely something that will help the organization in the long run, and the short term, too. Yeah, I know a lot of teams do have some sort of a streaming thing, but you got to go to the website and go to a third party, and then from there. Right. Um, I think Long Island's one team that goes to a couple of their games every year, and all their playoff games, up on YouTube, too. Yeah, that, that's, that's, a good, that's a good one. And we're a different league there, of course. As I've said in the past, baseball's a radio sport. There's certain sports that are better if you consume them in a certain medium. Like, hockey's better if you're there in person. Football's better if you're watching on TV. Baseball's one of those rare sports that's better if you're just listening to the audio of it. Of course, being there at the game's great. However, there's very few things that are better than just enjoying a nice summer afternoon with a baseball game on the radio, just listening to kind of the banter of the commentators and the play of the field. Just that whole immersion thing. There's a reason why you see a lot of people go to a baseball game and have, like, their little pocket radio with the headphones on listening to it. Because there's something about listening to baseball on the radio that's just kind of relaxing. I definitely like this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's definitely relaxing. It's, it's a great way to, to, to digest the game. And like you said, really immersive. Yep. Not only that, being that you're just outside of Fort Worth, you're definitely going to be hitting that whole general area. Yep. So you're going to reach a whole new set of fans. Just people flicking through the dial. They're going to hit it. They're going to hear a baseball game. And they're going to start listening. And maybe you get more fans that way. Yep. I definitely think this 
this is definitely a positive deal. Absolutely. And especially being so, such a young team, only three years in, in the American Association, it's, uh, it's definitely a positive thing. I definitely like this deal. 100%. I couldn't agree more. Yep. All right, with that being said, I know it was a pretty quick segment, but the radio deal, not much to say here. Uh, let's jump now to what would normally be our feature piece, but is kind of a second fiddle this week. York's new field, as I'd like to put it, York's battlefield, considering <laughs> the revolution. So, York playing the Atlantic League, obviously, because we haven't talked about them enough today. <laughs> they did some renovations, or are in the process of doing renovations, to their home park, People's Bank Park. Renovations include a new rental space, so party area, a new club area called the 1741 Club. I believe it was called the White Rose Hall before, something like that. I believe, yeah, but the 1741 Club, I think it's a really great name. It also kind of plays off of like that Yankee Stadium kind of vibe. The, the Yankee mm. Stadium has the uh, 1831 Club or something like that, I believe. Something yeah, different. no, that definitely is. It's definitely playing off of that. Plus, it's nice. It gives it kind of like a grandeur type feel to it, definitely. Oh, yeah, 100%. And in addition to that, they also did some upgrades to the skybox level, which is basically their luxury suites. And they also installed a brand new field. So, let's go ahead and get some of the boring things out of the way. Skyboxes are luxury suites. They've just been upgraded. First time, I believe they've been upgraded since the ballpark opened in 07. Cleaned them up, made them nicer. Uh, rental space is, you know, with standard party space. It's available for rental if you're having a large outing, something like that. Nothing. Uh, spectacular. They replaced the sod, removed invasive species of grass, and fixed drainage problems. As uninteresting and boring as that sounds, it's actually a fairly intensive thing and actually very important. Certainly, yeah, definitely a big deal in, in terms of just creating an environment where players can actually not have to worry about tripping or not having to worry about falling. Yeah, obviously, it's just a great thing also for the grounds crew. It is going to make their job a lot easier to have good drainage in there. Exactly, because a lot of times the reports were water would start piling up in foul grounds and on the worn track, so it would result in games being delayed or postponed, and that's never something you want to see. You want to get games played when it rains. That drainage was mainly due to the fact that when they built the actual stadium, they discovered there was an, uh, a natural spring underneath where they wanted to build it, <laughs> and so they result in less bedrock, and they already had to remove some bedrock. So, the stadium wasn't exactly level, I suppose, but built on even ground. So, it resulted in the water settling in a certain way. So now, as they've added that in, it makes it that the field will dry a lot quicker. The invasive grass also, it just kind of turned what was, or at least at one point, was 100% Kentucky bluegrass into a mixture of various forms of bluegrass and other sod. And just all sorts of things. And that kind of thing just happens over the course of like the decade that's been open. Oh yeah. Definitely. You know, natural grasses get in. So it's definitely something that's important to go ahead and renovate the field. And in the link we have, it shows you their whole removal of the turf and everything. It's very weird to see a baseball stadium without any turf on the field. It is weird, but it's also really cool. I think it's a great process mm -hmm. uh, and shows how committed the, the franchise is to that experience for both players and fans. I think it's really just a, it was just a great thing. And I think if more teams were able, obviously this is a financial thing that yeah. shows the health of the organization. Um, but if more teams were able to go ahead and keep doing these things in terms of maintenance, it's really great for the, the fans, the players, the league. It, it just, it, it, I really commend York on being able to do this. Very proactive. And, and very proactive and do this in a very good way. Yep, definitely. I definitely agree with that. 
And speaking of fan experience, I feel like it's a nice segue talking about this 1741 club. <laughs> Which when you say kind of like sequentially a 1741, it sounds like the starting lyrics are a bad rap song. Essentially this whole club zone, I really get the vibe of it. It's meant to be a business area. It's supposed to be for area businesses that are sponsoring. You know, you buy your membership to it and you get this beautiful open space. One of the links we have shows all the concept art for this. It's truly beautiful. It's really nice. It's something out of a major league stadium. It really is. Exactly. It's major league level. So let's kind of dive into what makes it the major league level here. So it's going to be extremely modern. So that means large open spaces, clean lines, a lot of glass to allow light in. It's supposed to give that kind of illusion that there's a lot more space than what's actually there. And... The lines on it are supposed to be very clean cut to give large frames of viewing and good viewing angles. Yep. In addition to being this kind of modern open space, there's going to be your typical club level things where you'll have the standard ball par- ballpark uh, food. There'll also be more upscale types of food. Uh, they'll rotate in and out other local vendors, I suppose it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Types of food specialties and whatnot. Uh, there'll also be uh, more brand name and higher name drink, as well as large TVs, free Wi-Fi, charging stations, you know, standard things, large open seating areas. So another thing for all those 21 plus out there, their bar is once you, you pay the cover to actually sit there, I don't believe you have to pay for that, and the bar stays open until last pitch. That, that, that right there, that's a game changer. I know you what, that's a game changer. I know for a fact that it stays open until the final out is recorded. I'm not sure how if they require you to pay for it afterwards. I'm or pay for service at the bar. I don't right. believe so, but I'm not sure. You'd have to consult the source on that. I didn't mark it down in the notes. So, but either way, is a big, big deal. deal. Big deal. Yeah, it certainly will. I mean, that's going to help them with revenue in intake in, in a lot. I mean, you're going to have a lot of people who want that beer in the seventh or eighth inning or ninth inning, and now they're going to get it. And even if the game goes into extra innings. The, the sales will only grow exponentially. This is really, really a smart, smart move. Yep. And, of course, it's just for the one section here, but even right. still, the people that are going to these games are your typical businessmen-type people, and they want to be able to get service when they want service. Yep. It's just that kind of mentality. And it's especially kind of amazing when you realize the club opens at 5.15 on game days or 15 minutes before the gate opens. So you're opened about an hour before the game starts. In addition to running through the whole game. So figure most games ended around 9. You have about 4 hours where that bar is open and just getting people going. Obviously, you have a bit too much, they're probably going to stop you. But, still. But for revenue from a business perspective, it's just a smart, smart move. You're going to get a lot more in drink sales from that bar than you would probably even from any other place on the uh, around the stadium. Exactly. No, because that's just, it's kind of quintessential. Yeah. The club will also stay open 30 minutes past the final out. So let's say you're having some sort of big corporate event. Last house record, you got your 30 minutes to kind of just wrap it up. You know, say your goodbyes, here's my card, call me in the morning type deal. Yep. So it would be something very good. In addition to that, uh, the standard cost for a ticket for one individual game would be 95 bucks for That's just for the game. However, there are packages and memberships available for varying prices. Uh, the location of the club is about... Midway up on the stadium, directly behind home plate, and it kind of wraps around a little bit. So it has that behind the plate area. Yeah, that's really cool. That's definitely something we're going to have to go check out. A very, very cool venue there. 
Exactly. And I think the pricing is very affordable for the it fact is. that the food's included in that. And I, I assume from the 95, then the alcohol would also be included and everything else. That seems like a very fair deal. Absolutely. I would pay $95 to do that, no doubt. Exactly. It seems like a very fun experience. And at the very least, looking at just pictures of the renovations in York's Park and everything there, it definitely seems like a road trip for the year. Oh, yeah. So that's the three, really kind of four, if you split up the Atlantic League deal, stories we had to cover here. However, we do have a couple updates and some other things that we were going to get to that we weren't able to get to this week just because we knew that first story was going to take up a lot of time. Yep. Just due to how significant it is again. So quickly, we're going to run through these. Some of them we're probably going to wind up covering next week in a lot more detail. And if not, they'll be, they'll be covered in other forms of content. Absolutely. Yep. I don't want to say speed through it, but run through it with some haste. Exactly. We'll move with speed. First thing on the list, Somerset released their new app for iOS and an update on Android. Uh, it's a brand new app in the App Store for if you have an Apple device, if you have an Android device, then just update your current one. It'll be there. They took it down in, I believe, December to do some maintenance on it. Now it's back. So. Yep, and I think they have a new provider as well for the, the actual app. I think that mm-hmm. was part of it that their, their provider had, had closed and the, the new app is on a new provider for a yeah. new. That should be fun to look at. Uh, next thing up here for just small stores. Uh, Anthony Giansanti, uh, Sugarland captain, Sugarland MVP for the 2018 season, re-signs in Sugarland. Clippily! So, quickly the story behind that. Tugboat! We went to one game early last season, and Somerset was in fact playing, uh, Sugarland. But we saw Anthony Giansanti come up, and with a name like that, we wanted to have some fun with it. And so, we started just slight, his first start by just changing his last name slightly and yelling support of him. So I believe it started with, uh, I think it was De Giuseppe. De Giuseppe, yes, then Gallipoli. Yeah, right? then it went to Gallipoli for a solid 3 4 inning. <laughs> and keep in mind, we were doing this and the people around us were dying. Uh, dying, they, were, they found it hilarious. So, I believe it was around the seventh inning, he came up and we started going, Atta boy, Gallipoli! Face knock, come on, let's go! Yeah, Gallipoli! And then, and then at some point we called him Tugboat. We, we yeah. don't know why we yeah. called him Tugboat, yeah. and but his name is now Tugboat. So then we start calling him Tugboat in about the ninth, I think it was. And so then we saw him play Sugarland again. We kept doing it again and started yelling Tugboat and Gallipoli. So, so needless to say, we're big fans of Giansanti, uh, and it was all in, in good fun, but yes, Tugboat is, is our, is uh, our guy we're pulling for here. Friend of the program. Yep, so we're definitely, we're happy to see he's back. Uh, we're, de- I'm almost tempted just to right now buy tickets for their first game <laughs> back. I need to check when that is. I believe it's mid-May. So as long as we don't have any sort of a other engagement there, we're almost certainly going to be there. Absolutely. So that's there. Look out for us, Gene Sante. We'll be there. We're big fans. Exactly. I'm going to try to get you to sign some stuff. Absolutely. Get you on the pod. Oh yeah, we'll get you on the, we'll get you on the program. And we'll, we'll love to have you as our first guest. Absolutely. We would lose Couldn't get better than that. Honored. Yep. Other story we're going to go into more detail about, because it's kind of similar to the Marshall situation, only this is more in a concept phase. Uh, Gary Sheffield, longtime major league player, uh, borderline Hall of Famer, I would say. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, yep. He uh, wants to renovate the former Red Spring training home in Plant City, Florida. Uh, right now it's just being used for softball, but it's kind of fallen on kind of tough times since the Reds left some years ago. Mm-hmm. He wants to go ahead with his investment group redo it, make it more of a baseball complex, and 
you know, kind of bring it back to his former glory. So maybe that could be a spot for an independent league team. Not many in Florida. Yep, we will definitely go into that in more detail. But yeah, I certainly think that that would be a good spot for it. And Florida is a big, big time baseball uh, state because of obviously teams like the Marlins, but also because of the amount of spring training games that are played down there. I really think that that would be a good market for our teams to start breaking into. Exactly that, or it could even be kind of like how we saw with the uh, Western League. That's right. Yep. Yep. With the Western League, that kind of situation could even work in Florida for a winter indie league. Yeah, absolutely. That yeah. could definitely be something there because teams are already going down there to scout their talent anyway. Yeah. So you'd have it be like a six-month league starting in say. February, running through about the middle of March. Could be something there. Could be interesting to see. Yep. Obviously, we'll talk about more at a later date. Six weeks. Six weeks. Yeah, there we go. All right. And then our only update we have, which we were going to make into a segment until the Atlantic League news dropped, uh, we have an update on the Martinez ownership situation. It's important to note here, Jeff Carnbaum's only accused of this. He has not been given a trial yet. He has not been found guilty, innocent, or anything of that nature yet. We believe in due process. Exactly. He is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. However, <laughs> that being said, and now that we've covered ourselves, Jeff Karpov is accused of running a Ponzi scheme out of his company, DC Solar. For $800 million! Oh, man, I want to drop the hammer on that. <laughs> on my thunder. Solar thunder. On my Windy City Thunderbolts. But yes, these scam people are reported $800 million. He did this through contract manipulation. We want to study it more so that we get a firm grasp on it to talk about. So that way we actually sound intelligent on the topic. Because right now there's still some details that are working their way through. And like I said, we want to get some more concrete information on this. Because right now he is only accused of this. So he is innocent until proven guilty. And just as a touching note here, uh, Commissioner Theo Flightmaster has not spoken with Karpovs since becoming the commissioner in November. So that's still kind of a loose crowd here. And that's all we have in the updates and extras section of today's show. Do we have anything else to add after our marathon show of nearly 90 minutes? <laughs> uh, just to end, uh, the articles that I write every week will now be put on Sunday, so one will be coming out on Sunday. Oh, yes, and the article you wrote this week, too. We have to discuss that quickly. Yes. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> yes. So the article I wrote uh, for this previous week um, was about the Canadian League teams. Um, specifically, I wrote about the Trey Rivas Igals and as well as the Quebec Capitals, and I really think that they're two great teams in Canadian baseball. I really like them. Read the article. It will go much more into detail, but I really like them, and they're pillars of stability in my mind for um, the Canadian League. Of course, and so with that being said, I believe we have exhausted every possible thing we could talk about <laughs> in this show. We thank you for keeping in with us, and as always, you can find us on Twitter, on Instagram, um, numerous podcatchers, including, but not limited to, TuneIn, Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Podomatic. And, if you'd like to go ahead and have more content, be sure to visit our website, www.indieballreport.com, for articles, polls, and other various things, of which we will now start putting them on Twitter, starting this week. And with that being said, remember to play ball.